Amen. Thank you, Derek and Alyssa. And I was thinking at, uh, about a couple of the, of the stanzas specifically in regards to the message tonight. But um, uh, Derek pointed out uh, that one stanza regarding the message this morning. So this is a, a message that I've entitled, Hope in Humility. And uh, maybe you have heard of the book, The Ten Most Humble People in America. And how I influenced the other nine. <laughs> Anybody read that book? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's a, a book that I think, uh, if we ever were to sit down and, and write, I think by the end of the first chapter, we would be in trouble. But we have a problem with pride in our culture today, don't we? And uh, the songs tonight all had to do with uh, trusting in Christ, leaning on Christ, dying to ourselves. And the Lord led me to Psalm 31 this week. And... I uh, couldn't help but see the psalmist's humility in this passage. And so we'll deal with this uh, passage tonight and look at this particular topic of hope in humility. Humility is a dying character trait, it seems. It's a character trait that uh, really in ancient days was looked down upon. And nowadays we are pretty much in the same territory. Uh, humility is seen as weakness in our culture today. Narcissism seems to abound. Narcissism seems to, to reign supreme. And really, the, this month, I hate to even uh, bring it up, I hate to even acknowledge it, because it's, it's so disgusting, but this month is Pride Month, okay? In, in, the, in the eyes of the, the unsaved world. And... I, I, I sense that there's a, a, a title there, a label there, that speaks to the narcissism of that kind of lifestyle. Because really the LGBTQ plus movement is a movement of pride. Not in the sense of the way the world uses that word pride, but the pride that is condemned by God. The pride that is condemned in the Word of God. And there is a narcissism in our culture. And the pride movement, the LGBTQ plus movement, is an example of the depths to man's pride that he will go to. And it's now become norm for the expressions of our heart and the way we feel and the depravity of our heart now is coming out to levels that it's hard to even fathom and to describe. And man is endorsing, and man is affirming, and man is celebrating some of the most vile sins that are coming out and that are being displayed in our culture today. And it's really a, a movement of selfish narcissistic pride it's really what it is and man is is now living for himself to the levels of depravity that it, it seems that we have never seen before or haven't seen for a very long time so in psalm 31 we see a psalmist david in psalm 31 writing in humility and we're going to we're going to break down just very quickly as we start here 
We're going to break down some of the words that the psalmist uses. We're, we're going to <clears throat> hop, skip, and jump through this psalm and look at some of the words that the psalmist uses that speak to his humility and how he came to God in writing this psalm, a song we see in Psalm 31, to the chief musician, a psalm of David. So it's a song, and we see the humility throughout the psalm. We see trust, verse 1, in thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Down in verse 6, I have hated them that regard lying vanities, but I trust in the Lord. Verse 14, but I trusted in thee, O Lord. Verse 19, oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast brought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. We see the word deliverance. We see that in verses 1 and 2. We see deliver. Verse 1. We see deliver again in verse 2. Pull me out. Verse number 4. And then in verse 15. Deliver me from the hand of mine enemies. All of these words speak to the humility of the writer, of, of David. He sees his need to trust God to be delivered from his sin, from his enemies, from the struggles that he is going through, we see that dependent spirit. We see that humble spirit. Prayer is an act of humility. One of the reasons we don't pray as much as we should is because we are a proud people. We want to do things our own way, on our own, and we don't want to trust God like we should. We don't want to depend upon the Lord like we should. And prayer humbles us. And it's times that we have to get on our knees sometimes that it's where God is, is teaching us the most because we're now humble, we're broken before God. And we see prayer in verse 2, bow down thine ear to me. This is a strong phrase of, uh, of the, the psalmist crying out to the Lord to, to listen, to, to come down to my level, so to speak, and, and listen it's not a, a, a phrase of pride. It's, it's, a, it's a phrase of humility. He is humbled and he's bowed down. And he's contrite before the Lord, prostrate before the Lord. And he is asking the Lord to come down to, to hear, bow down to hear my, my voice. As we sometimes have to do as parents with a, a young child who is uh, speaking maybe softly or is a little, little bit of a distance away and we get down on their level. It's as if the psalmist is saying, Lord, hear me. I, I'm afraid to even lift up my, my head from off the ground. I'm, I'm afraid to get off my knees uh, because I am so unworthy. But please hear me. We see in verse 17, let me not be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon thee. Verse 22. For I said in my haste, I am cut off from before, before thine eyes. Nevertheless, thou heardest the voice of my supplications. Supplications having to do with the specific request. So we see prayer. We see strength. We see in verse number two. Deliver me speedily, be thou my strong rock. For an house of defense to save me. Verse number four. Pull me out of the net that they have laid privily for me. For thou art my strength. Verse 21. Blessed be the Lord, for he has shown me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. In verse 24, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your hearts. There again, we see words of dependence upon the Lord for his strength. It's hard for us, especially for us as men, to admit that we are weak, to admit that we need help, to admit that we need 
someone to come alongside and, and to, to, to give us an extra boost. It's tough. We're, as men, we are, we are proud people. And, and some of that is because God has given us leadership and God has given us uh, a certain adventuresome or risk-taking uh, kind of, of spirit and disposition that's part of our makeup. But that, that area that God has uh, given us or called us to can also be a, a great weakness to us when we become self-sufficient and self-dependent. And so here we see the psalmist asking the Lord for strength. And he knows that he is weak without the Lord. Defense. Verse 2 again. Be thou my strong rock for an house of defense to save me. We see it again in verse number 3. For thou art my rock and my fortress. And then down in verse number 20. Thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence from the pride of man. So we see again the need for defense. The need for the Lord to provide that defense. And again, this I can't help being a, a man, being a father, being a husband, and being Father's Day. We, we take that very seriously, don't we, as men? And, I, I, you know, again, I, I can't help but, but bring, bring up some of this sometimes, but the, the LGBT community, what do they have to say about the war in Ukraine where it's the men who are given the guns to go in to take on the Russian enemy while the women and children are taken into safety along with the, the elderly? Doesn't that speak to God's design God's order for civilization, for society, when there is a, a need for defense, who is the one to take up the defense? It's, it's the man. When there's a noise downstairs in the middle of the night, I don't lean over to Kelly and say, hey, babe, can you go down and check out the noise? No, she's saying, Brent, go. Can you please find out what's going on? I, I said that to a group of young people one time. I was... Uh, dealing with some high schoolers, just teaching a class, subbing or something, and, and we, we were talking, kind of joking around a little bit, and I said, okay, ladies. I said, if there's something going on in the middle of the night, you hear a, a strange noise, someone banging at the door, do you want your husband to get out of bed and go and take, take care of whatever it is, or do you feel like that's your job? Every single one of those girls, they were like, that's my husband's job. That's the man's job. How is that? And you say, well, that's, that's chauvinistic, or that's, uh, you know, uh, whatever the, 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 the labels that people throw out today, misogynist or whatever. No, it's, it's, what, it's what God designed the man to do, to be the protector of his home, to be the guide, the protector, the provider. There, there's a certain element of that that's designed for the man. And here's David, a warrior, a, a, a soldier who is known for his strength and has even killed a lion and a bear with his bare hands. Even he realizes that his strength is limited, that he needs God's defense. He needs God's fortress around his home, around his life. And he needs to depend upon the Lord for his defense. We can get ourselves in trouble when we are always depending on ourselves. And that comes to a spiritual defense as well. We need the word of God. We need to depend upon the Lord in a spiritual defense as well. Because sometimes we as men, we, we become so strong and so self-sufficient physically that we think that that then carries over to our spiritual defenses. And we don't take the precautions and don't build up the strength and look to the Lord for our defense like we should. We see salvation in verse 2. We see that there in, Be thou my strong house for an house, or be thou my strong rock for an house of defense to save me. Verse 16, 
make thy face to shine upon thy servant. Save me for thy mercy's sake. Again, it's hard for us sometimes. Again, I pick on men, but it's true for any of us sometimes to be willing to say, I need to be saved. I need to be saved out of this mess. It's sometimes difficult to call somebody and say, I'm in a predicament. It sometimes requires us to step on our pride, to swallow our pride and say, please help me here. And, 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 and as humans, as sinners, we can become so self-sufficient, so self-dependent that we don't look to the Lord. Yes, we're saved people. Yes, we claim Christ as our Savior. We claim uh, to be born again and be on our way to heaven. We're saved eternally. But then we live our life in a different way. We live our life, again, like practical atheists. And we don't look to the Lord to help us and to save us in the sense of our daily spiritual conflicts and the challenges and the tribulations and the trials we can get dependent upon ourselves and we can go about doing things our own way. And in America, with all the technology and with all the wealth and with so many things at our disposal, so many conveniences, so many machines and, and so many uh, areas of technology that we can go to to find answers and to uh, take care of this or take care of that and we can amass lots of wealth and before long... We're not depending upon the Lord. And we're, we're not looking to uh, the Lord for our, our salvation in the daily sense of our salvation. In the daily needs that we have. And we see the psalmist trusting, for, trusting the Lord for salvation. And then in verse 3, we even see the, the psalmist using the word guide. For thou art my rock and my fortress, therefore for thy name's sake lead me and guide me. Now... I am a, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good with directions. I'm thankful that God gave me a pretty good sense of, of directions. And I remember uh, going to a friend's wedding down in the hills of Tennessee after a semester of college. And we went up as a group and we stayed in a cabin out in the, the boondocks. For some of you, some of you are like, boondocks, what is that? That's a place way out in the country, up in the hills. Up in the hills. I grew up, if it was some place that was obscure, it was called the boondocks. So anyway, hopefully that's a def enough of a definition for some of you to understand what I'm talking about. Some of you immediately shook your head, boondocks, I know what that is. I know exactly where boondocks is. But I remember we were up in the hills of Tennessee, and there was a group of us guys that stayed at this cabin. And of course, we came down out of the, out of the hills, and we went to the wedding, and then everybody went their own way, but I was staying another night. This is back before GPS, back before cell phones, and I did not have a Garmin or anything like that. And I am so thankful because after that wedding, it got dark, and I had to drive back to that cabin up there in the boondocks of the hills of Tennessee, and I realized I didn't take a map with me. I just got in the car that, that next morning, that morning and drove down, and now it's dark, and I came down in the daylight, and I am so thankful. I prayed that whole way back and I was looking for every little landmark that I could find. I was trying to think of every uh, crossroads and I got back to that cabin and I was never so thankful <laughs> to pull up into that little driveway in pitch black and there, there I was. And now we have a GPS, we have all these devices and we have 
a, a GPS system that can guide us to just about anywhere we want to go. And, and we get so dependent on the technology and we have all of these resources at our fingertips. And if we're not careful, we don't look to the Lord for guidance. We don't look to His Word. We're not applying the principles, the commands, the promises of the Scripture like we should. And we can become very self-sufficient, self-dependent because we have a guide in our hands in the form of a phone or a GPS. But we need the Lord's guidance. We need the Holy Spirit to, to lead us. We sing even about that tonight and the Holy Spirit filling us, controlling us. And the Holy Spirit will always guide us to the truth or in, in, in the truth of the Word of God. And then we see redemption in verse 3. For thou art my rock and my fortress, therefore for thy name's sake lead me and guide me. In verse 5, into thine hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. So we see redemption. We see the need there again of the psalmist as he cries out for the Lord to redeem him, to, to buy him back. This is not my life. This is, doesn't belong to me. It belongs to you. Lord, I need your help in this time of need. Verse number 7, we see mercy. I will be glad and rejoice in thy mercy, for thou hast considered my trouble. Thou hast known my soul in adversities. The psalmist was obviously going through some adversities. The psalmist was obviously going through trouble. And in verse 7, there seems to be an indication that the psalmist has some of these adversities and some of this trouble because of his own sinful choices. And that's sometimes where we find ourselves. We get ourselves in trouble because of our own sinful choices. And our pride gets checked. Am I going to admit that I'm wrong? Am I going to confess to whoever it is that I have wronged, who I have offended? Am I going to confess my sin to the Lord? Or am I going to remain in a state of stubbornness? I've met people who will never admit that they are wrong about anything. It is a very fearful place to be. And we can dig in our heels and we can be like a stubborn mule out on the field who digs in its heels and won't budge. And it's sad sometimes that we can be so full of ourselves, so full, so full of pride, that when we make mistakes and we know we are wrong, it's one of the things that frustrates me so much about politics, is it's like a politician can never admit they are wrong about anything. And the finger pointing and the blame shifting and the just doubling down on things that are clearly wrong and evil or that are clearly mistakes that are not factual, and now we see it in our, in our journalism, which in many cases just is a propaganda arm of political parties. In many cases, the news media is no longer about true journalism and about facts. And there's been lawsuits now where news media, where newspapers have been caught in lies and scandals and slander and have been sued for it. We as believers have got to be willing to admit when we're wrong, when we make mistakes. Husbands and wives, how do we ever get through a married relationship for any length of time if we cannot admit when we're wrong? 
Our marriage is doomed from the start. If we cannot start forgiving and accepting forgiveness and being willing to apologize and to admit where we're wrong. Many a marriage has been broken because one party or the other, husband or wife, will refuse to admit. And sometimes it only takes just the one. I remember a, a divorce that took place at one of our former ministries. And the two had gone at it, and they sat down with the pastor. And the husband said, I want to make this relationship work. He confessed everything he knew to confess, probably more than he, he probably needed to. And she refused. She said, I will never come back to you again. And sometimes it, it's sad that it ends that way. But the, the lack of uh, willingness to understand my need for mercy, which will require me to admit when I'm wrong and to ask for forgiveness and be willing to apologize. It's amazing how forgiveness can really heal and help in relationships. And the, the psalmist sees his need for mercy. Preservation, verse 23. Oh, love the Lord, all ye his saints, for the Lord preserveth the faithful. The faithful. Isn't faithfulness an act of humility? Isn't faithfulness an act of dependence? We are going to stay faithful to the Lord. We're going to remain obedient. We're going to remain in, 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 in God's, we're going, to, we're going to continue to trust Him. We're going to continue to follow, even when it's hard, even when there's opposition, as we were even studying this morning in John 7. And we see the psalmist crying out, Lord, preserve me, for the Lord preserveth the faithful. As the psalmist desires to be faithful, he finds the Lord preserving him. And notice in verse 23, it's those who love the Lord who are the faithful ones. We are dependent beings and we need God's preservation in our lives. And we need to remain faithful even when it is difficult. And faithfulness is an act of humility. It is saying even when it's tough, even when it's hard, even when there's opposition, even when I don't feel like it. We get jobs, and we don't feel like going to work. We don't feel like dealing with the people. We don't feel like, what is it around the house? I don't feel like it. I don't feel like getting out of bed. I don't feel like taking out the trash. I don't feel like mowing the yard. I don't feel like, and that's what we have done now in our culture. Everything is so much about feelings, and we live in such a sensual, feelings-based, happiness culture, a narcissistic culture, that if it doesn't make me feel good, then I don't want to do it. And no wonder we're not faithful. No wonder we're discontented and unhappy all the time. And it comes down to, again, a lack of humility and, 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 staying, and staying faithful in our marriages, faithful in our homes, in our relationships, faithful in our jobs, faithful around the house. So many ways. It's, a, it's an act of dependence upon the Lord to give me the strength to remain faithful, to keep doing what I know to do is right, to keep on the task. I look at the faithfulness of so many caregivers. It's, I've, uh, I, I'm a, I want to be careful. I'm 47. I'm still very young. My kids think I'm very old. So I got to be very careful when I use the term old. 
It's a relative term anyway, right? Old's a relative term. But I've, in, in, in my short lifespan, I've seen many caregivers, from my mom to my father-in-law to, to others that I've, I've known. There's a faithfulness to caregiving, isn't there? That's just unbelievable. Staying faithful to the loved one, day after day, coming alongside, feeding, sometimes changing dirty clothes, caring, and doing some of the hardest things they could ever possibly imagine doing, but doing it out of love. And helping preserve that person's dignity of life and preserving their, their, their life and, and their dignity all the way down to those final hours. It's an incredible task. It's, it's a faithfulness that requires a humility to come every day and to serve a loved one who is dying and faithfully do that. That's, a, that's humility. That's something that we, we are lacking in our culture. Now we want to euthanize. We don't want babies to be born because they are inconveniencing us. And we don't want the elderly because they're inconveniencing us. They're a, a leech to society. That is not the attitude of the psalmist. The attitude of the psalmist is that of humility. Lord, preserve. Help me to be faithful. I love you, Lord. And that love results in faithfulness. Faithfulness to that unborn child. Faithfulness to that spouse. Faithfulness to that dying loved one. Faithfulness out of love. And we see the psalmist in humility asking for God's preservation as he loves the Lord and remains faithful to the Lord. And then we see in verse 24, we see the word hope. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. Hope in Humility. Well, in the little bit of time we have remaining, I'm going to put seven principles. We'll do the first five on this slide and then jump to the next one. Seven quick principles about humility. First of all, humility is necessary for salvation. There is hope in humility. The world says humility is weakness. Humility won't get you anywhere. Humility is not going to give you advantage. It's not going to help you to get ahead. Humility is going to keep you behind. Humility is going to keep you from getting the, the headlines and keep you from getting the raise or getting the, 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 the interview after the ball game. Humility is looked down on. But if we don't have humility, we'll never get saved. We can go to Matthew 5 and the poverty of spirit and blessed are they that mourn. The need for depending upon the Lord for our salvation. Humility requires that we no longer be preoccupied with ourselves. I'm crucified with Christ. We just sang a couple of songs that dealt with dying to self. We are so caught up in ourselves. I think about myself more than anybody else does. That makes me proud. I have to make a conscious decision not to think about myself all the time. I am already in love with myself. I was born that way. And I think of myself too much. That makes me a proud person. We have to battle our pride all the time. We see this psalmist as a dependent person, trusting the Lord. And we just went through all those words. So humility, again, requires that we no longer be preoccupied with ourselves. Humility demands that we be lost in the wonder of Jesus Christ. Another reason why we have such a proud culture is because we have pushed the Bible we have pushed God's word. We have pushed Christ. 
out of our homes, out of our lives, out of our churches even. And without Christ, we are a proud people. We're, we're going to do things our own way and go about our own business and never consider what God thinks and what Christ would have us to do and what God's will and what would honor the Lord and what would make us Christ-like and conform us into the image of His Son and be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Humility comes as we get lost in the wonder of Jesus Christ. Humility is developed by removing those things that promote pride. And we hear, or we read in Romans 6 about the instruments of unrighteousness and the instruments of righteousness and putting off those instruments of unrighteousness, putting on the instruments of righteousness. That speaks to the fact that we have to remove those things that are going to contribute to our pride. So if social media is a problem, if it's a temptation, if it's an area where I struggle, maybe I need to cancel some social media accounts. If that's where I'm struggling. If, if I'm struggling in my, my sports with my pride, maybe I need to ask the coach or uh, go to a, uh, another player and say, can you help me in this area? Can you do this or can you do that? Sometimes the Lord just naturally gives us a piece of humble pie, doesn't he? So we're at the store this afternoon getting some things for camp. And two hours later, we're missing things that we thought we had purchased and we had brought home. And we find out that we didn't bring one of the bags home from the store. There's five of us standing at the cash register at the self-checkout. And none of us grabbed the last bag. So we had 20-something dollars worth of stuff that was supposed to go in the suitcases for camp. And we don't have any of them because it's in that bag that we left at the store. And I'm struggling with my sanctification. <laughs> and I am going to have to now drop everything and I'm going to have to go back to the store and pray the whole way there that somebody was honest enough to set our bag aside. So get in the car, get in the van, drive back, and I'm praying the whole way, Lord, may some honest person in Lafayette, I know Lafayette's a good town, it's got to be, somebody, somewhere, <laughs> please, that was behind us in the checkout, turn the bag in, please. I don't want to have to go and walk through the store and buy all those things again and spend our $20, $25. And we got to the checkout, we went through the self-checkout, talked to the lady, she went to somebody else, and the, the guy said, Oh, I remember somebody turned in a bag. I think it's down here. And so we followed him down, and sure enough, there it was. Somebody had turned in the bag, and we got our stuff back. I was thanking the Lord. I was praising the Lord. There's some honest people left in the world, right? And I was, at the same time, having to say, Lord, thank you for the humility. Thank you, Lord, for helping me to swallow my pride, because I had to go into a store and say, I'm the doofus that left the, you know, the bag. I'm the dumb one that left the bag. And I had to go and talk to the, the people and, and they got us our, our stuff back. But we need sometimes those pieces of humble pie, don't we? And they hurt, but they're necessary. And then humility has to be sought after. James chapter 4, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. And that's where we are going to end up with numbers 6 and 7 as we come to our the conclusion of our time tonight. Humility means to allow God to do the hefty living, heavy lifting. 
So in James 4, we draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. We cleanse our, our hands, ye sinners, purify your, your hearts, ye double-minded. And what, what do we read there in James 4? What's the promise? If we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, he will lift you up. And we see that in 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6 as well. Let God do the heavy lifting. We humble ourselves. Let God lift us up in his time, in his place, according to his way. And that may not even be here on this side of heaven. That reward may be in glory. It may not even be here. Let God do the heavy lifting. Instead of us trying to get our name out there and exalt ourselves, let God do the lifting, the exalting in his time, in his perfect plan. And then humility finds strength and courage in the Lord. And that comes back to our text, Psalm 31, in verse 24, where we're to be of good courage, and God will strengthen our hearts, all ye that hope in the Lord. Where do we find the courage to go on in this life and to be faithful? Where do we find the strength to be humble and be teachable and to see God work by hoping in the Lord, by depending upon the Lord? And then uh, we, we, we come to a close tonight by considering uh, this passage. And let's go ahead and turn to James 4 and then we'll close. James 4. And then we'll close. I want us to see this as we come to a conclusion tonight. I quoted from this passage a few minutes ago, but I want us to look at James 4 in verse number 6. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. God resists the proud. That means that God is against those who exalt themselves in pride. But we read there that he gives grace unto the humble. And notice at the beginning of verse 6, he giveth more grace. You know where we need more grace? To be humble. That's where we need the most grace. To be humble. Because we're so lifted up in our own pride. We think so much of ourselves. It's actually in the context of humility that we are told that he gives more grace. As we humble ourselves before him, as we depend upon him, he gives us more grace. And we use the phrase, I've used it, and I don't mean it to, uh, to be overly critical uh, of whoever uses the phrase, he gives more grace. And then we, we talk about God gives more grace in the trials and the tribulations. And, and, I, and I believe he does. I believe he gives grace in trials and tribulations. But in the context of James 4 and verse 6, the grace is given in the context of humility. As we humble ourselves before the Lord, as we exercise humility and dependence upon the Lord, he gives more grace for that, whatever it is that we're going through. But the key is that we humble ourselves first. And then he bestows that grace. And it's important for us as believers, as the psalmist in Psalm 31, that we hope in humility. There is hope in humility. The world says no. The world says no, there's hope only in pride. That's how you get through this life. That's how you get your way. That's how you make it in the big time, is through pride. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that there is grace. There is hope 
in humility. May we live that out even this week with the Lord's help. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for these truths. Help us, Lord, to have humility, to come before you with broken and contrite hearts, to bow before you, to call out like the psalmist, to trust you, to look to you for our defense, to be our guide, to be our redeemer. Lord, may there be hope in our lives for or in humility. As we humble ourselves before you, you give us more grace for whatever it is that we need, for whatever it is that we are going through. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Derek is going to come and lead us in one stanza, 537, not I, but Christ. Uh, Just the first stanza, uh, 537, not I, but Christ.